there's nothing more important than sharing your heart with a you know in in a situation like this and say hey i don't have i don't know what to say i don't know what to say but what i am saying is that i'm here with you i see the same injustice what do we do together from a kingdom perspective Well, hey, friends, welcome back to the podcast. We have a great series of conversations kicking off this week. But first, I want to let you know of a resource we've put available over on our Field Notes page. If you haven't tuned in yet or checked that out, we've totally revamped our blog. Um, we've stripped away a lot of the you know regular content, and we always try to make things as specific as possible and as easy as possible for you guys to learn and educate yourselves in all aspects of leadership. So if you head over to stayforth.com backslash field notes, that's stayforth.com backslash field notes, you'll see four new, very specific categories um, of leadership, coaching, uh, church leadership, and book summaries. We're doing a lot of practical book summaries that we're leading. We're all about leadership for the trenches, for leaders who are in the trenches, and we want you to know that we're right there with you. So check out our field notes page for some practical resources. One resource that we've just put up there is a great list of books, movies, and discussions for white leaders who are looking to educate themselves about the systemic racism in this country. We would encourage you to check that out. Again, that's called White Leaders. Let's Educate Ourselves. And you can find that over on our Field Notes page at stayforth.com forward slash field notes. I would highly encourage you to check that out. Now, moving on, we have our great series of conversations kicking off this week, and we are titling those Dear White Leaders, Black Kingdom Leaders Speaking Honestly to White Leaders. This is a very tumultuous time in our culture where so many people want to say something, move forward, take their next right step, but they just don't know how to. And personally, I think that it's time for us to listen. The first next step is to listen and open up dialogue with our black brothers and sisters. And if we want to really and truly lead well and lead for the long haul, we have to lead together. And that starts with having conversations, having dialogues, and really figuring out what it's going to take to bridge the gap in our country to come together and move forward together. So we have some great interviews set up for this week. And our first one today is with Melinda Joy Mingo. So without further ado, let's jump right into Alan's conversation with Melinda Joy Mingo in our first of our series, Dear White Leaders. Well, friends, we continue on in the series, Dear White Leaders. And if you are watching this and you are a white leader like myself, chances are you are confused. What can I do? What can I share? What is my posture? And we have some incredible kingdom leaders. And one of those today is Melinda Joy Mingo, who is going to guide us, going to lead us. So my goal today, uh, MJ, as we call her at Stay Forth Designs, uh, our goal today, Melinda Joy, is for you to guide us, to be able to share your own story. You're a leader yourself, and we'll let you share some of the areas you lead folks in. You are a communicator, uh, and you have uh, both uh, the hurt in this conversation, but you have hope as well. And you you really walk well with both of those parallel tracks. And so we'd love to hear from you today as you continue to guide us as leaders. We are trying to build this plane as we fly it. We're trying to figure out what do we feel inside? How do we process this? How do we be helpful in the conversation? So thanks so much for coming on today and being helpful and using your voice to help us. You know, I really appreciate that. And I just wanted to say, I was thinking about uh, my relationship with you and why I came on here is because we have become friends and it doesn't take long to become friends when you open your heart. So I came as a friend to talk to a friend 
who would hopefully uh, disseminate this to other friends. Thank you. And I'm honored. I'm honored by that. Actually, uh, Melinda Joy also received an award uh, from our team at State Fort Designs. And she is on episode 86 of our podcast, the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. So to hear more of her story and background on who she is and what has really shaped her story, go to episode 86 of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. So first of all, Melinda Joy, can you share a little bit of your vocation? You do a lot of things, but how do you describe your vocation? Yes, so I think I would describe my vocation as a cultural guide of truth. So in that phrase, um, I'm a professor and I teach communications and business, all those things, but I get a chance to intertwine culture in. Uh, I'm a, a diversity specialist for the college where I teach. I'm a pastor as well for um a young ministry, and what I mean by young is most other people in the ministry are in their 20s and 30s, which I love, and some Gen Zs, you know, Ys, X. Um, I'm an author, but I just think, you know, I, I do a lot of things in the community only because God has given me the grace to do them. And as I do them, I, I know my mission and vision is not just to say I'm a professor, a pastor. My mission is to bring truth about the value, worth, and dignity of every person. And no matter what I do in my classrooms, Alan, I mean, I always set my curriculum around that, that persona as a pastor, whether I'm training organizations on cultural diversity or cultural capacity, as we call it now, it all for me centers around the value, worth, and dignity of people. So that's my mission. Wow. I love it. And you get to live that out in so many ways. People are dizzy just hearing all the things that you do. (laughs) We want to talk about your book at the end of our time here uh, that'll be coming out in the fall. So let's start, let's get really personal. So how has the murder of George Floyd and the surrounding cultural upheaval personally affected you, Melinda? So the night after the murder um, of Mr. Floyd, I was in the grocery store here in Colorado Springs, and um, and I just started weeping. I just started weeping in the grocery store. I was walking through the aisles of the grocery store with my mask on, and I was so broken. I was just broken because I had also heard the story of the incident that happened in Central Park with the black guy and the white female and that situation of calling the cops. And, you know, maybe people have seen it now. I'm going to call the cops on you. I'm going to tell them you're an African-American male. You know, I was thinking about the lady who was killed um, in her home, who was actually um, an ER, I mean, you know, a first responder who was out there helping people, thought about the guy jogging. And so I was really broken. I just have to tell you, I was so broken. And I walked through the aisles of the store here and I saw people watching me and I kept thinking with my mask on, I, I was like, I can't breathe. Now I'm not using that metaphorically. I mean, literally, I just felt so like I can't breathe. And I took my mask mask off and I had it hanging on my ear because I said, if I don't do that, people, I might get, you know, escorted out. But it made me think of something, Alan. It made me think of the fact that not only what I saw on TV of uh, this man calling for his mom and stuff, I was just broken. I was just really broken. I was broken 
thinking about the image of him before that. So yes, the image of him on the ground really was traumatic for me, but the image of him before all of that, just seeing his face. And here's my thought. I was like, before he even got to the ground, I kept thinking, I saw the anguish on his face. And my thought was, God, was there anybody that was supposed to have been sent to him that did not answer the call before he got to the ground? Mm. I was just thinking about it. I was thinking about the people who perhaps were standing around. And so my thought was, I don't want to just be a person who is activated after something has happened. I want to always be in a place where I can hear God's voice to say, there might be something that, you know, I want you to do MJ before anything happens. I want you to do something maybe while it's happened, happening, not just after it's happened. Now, what do we do? And I think for me, the clarion call in all this as an African-American woman is yes, there are still injustices. I mean, and, and, and I would just say it honestly. And what I say does not discredit the fact that I love my brothers and sisters from all races, I mean, from all cultures. It does not. What it does say to me is that when we think about, you know, that whole decree, you know, with the Declaration of Independence, that all men and women are created equally in the image of God with this unalienable right to have justice and freedom. When I think of that, my thought is, what is my response as a believer now? What is my response? So anyway, I was just really devastated. And then I was thinking about where I live in Colorado Springs and how a white male urinated on my car. And uh, Mm -hmm. I was in a store and they called me out and he smeared on my window downtown and um, put the N-word. And I was telling someone, I said, I have never been called more the N-word as I have over these past months. Walking down the street, men, people giving me the finger in the car. And, you know, and someone said, yeah, MJ, he urinated on your car out there. And he spit on your car and smeared it on your window. I said, yeah. I said, but here's my thing is that The anger that I felt was not because he did that. My anger is because here is a man that obviously has not had an intersection with Jesus. Thanks for sharing. I'm so sorry. In this beautiful city that I love so much to hear those stories. Um, So, MJ, when an atrocity like this happens and you're hurting and you're broken, what is helpful to hear from a white friend who is checking in on you? What are some helpful words? And of course, we want to hear the other side. What words or posture is not helpful? I, I just think, you know, I'll say even like for you, Alan, I'll just say you reached out to me and you said, hey, MJ, how are you doing in all this? That meant so much to me. I, so I had so many of my friends, they didn't try to, you know, reach out to me and dissect what happened um, it's not helpful when something happens like this and someone says to me, well, was he on drugs, MJ, before this happened? I heard that he had a bad past, this guy. Or um, say, MJ, you know, you, you would never do that, right? You know, those are mute points. They are mute mm. points. And what they do, they take the whole 
kind of take it switches the whole thing of a human being and what has happened. So it doesn't help me because maybe people see me now, they see me on a journey now where, um, yeah, I'm called Dr. MJ. You know, I might have these things. I'm doing things in the community. But I've also been a woman who's grown up in inner city Chicago, you know, realizing and, and praying and asking God to make me white because I felt I would never make it in life as a black woman. I prayed and got on my knees and I said, God, if you make me white, I just feel like I'll have a better chance in society. I feel that whenever I go and apply for a job, I won't have someone say to me as they did, I can't hire you, MJ, because my folks are not going to relate to you. You have the skills, but my people are not going to relate to you. So what was not helpful is to try to bring in a scripture to defend uh, what happened rather than looking at the humanity of what happened. It's helpful just to have, you know, I say to all my white friends, since this is dear white leaders, I say to them, you have to know that most of us who are with you as a friend, we totally get it, that you feel just as bad as we do. We do. I mean, some of my friends and I were talking about that the other day. We realized that our white brothers are hurting too, some of us. We realize that. And so I just want to say that for those of you who will see this, I want you to know that we appreciate that. I, I'm just really being honest. I mean, I had a friend of mine call me last night and her son has been involved, just kind of in the protests in Colorado Springs, marching and all. And, and I talked to him last night. He said, I don't know what to do, MJ. He said, I'm just gathering but, you know, I'm trying to make a statement and help, you know, to help. And I said, yeah, I said, and so it means a lot. So, again, I, I, I would say on a practical level, don't try to bring in Christian ease during the time. Those words that, well, just think if he was a believer, MJ, this guy, George Floyd, he's in a better place. Okay. Those things are not helpful. Or, or to even say to a person of color during this time, the playing field is equal. You know, when people say that, the playing field is equal, we understand. I understand what that means. But I also understand that for some of us, there's still the atrocities of racism and prejudices, not with our friends, not with my friend like you, Alan, but there's still those, even in the church, in the church, who will not talk to a person of color when they walk in. We assign permanent visitor status. People come into ministries, we'll say, glad you're here, never try to reach out, never try to be intentional. So anyway, I would just say, be yourself, be genuine. I mean, there's nothing more important than sharing your heart with a, you know, in, in a situation like this and say, hey, I don't have, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. But what I am saying is that I'm here with you. I see the same injustice. What do we do together from a kingdom perspective to do something mm -hmm. different? Have, and then lastly, I have a friend, they are white, you know, using that. And uh, they have adopted um, some kids from um, um, Rwanda and Ethiopia. And just my heart, I love them. And um, they reached out to me and said, MJ, this is so sad. This is sad. This, this unity that we see is so heartbreaking. And they said, what can we do to help you, MJ? You know, and then they said, we, we've got black kids that we've adopted and 
and they're our kids. We don't see them as adopted kids or anything. They're, they, we have, they're our kids. They're part of our family, but their home was vandalized and graffiti was put on their, on their home and some other stuff. They were, they made threatening remarks to my friends, such as we're going to come in here and beat up the white people in this home. And there was buyers set. I am heartbroken because the thing that I I am not, I'm okay with protesting. A protest means that you are saying something, we are saying something is wrong. I'm not okay when it starts going into a place of violence and then it's counter dehumanizing people, you know, and they don't know my friends. They don't know how they've helped me as a person of color. They don't know what they've gone through trying to raise kids from another culture and people saying to them that as they're white, you shouldn't even have black kids. But now to see them in the midst of this riot, people not knowing them and to be judged, that's equally heartbreaking. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm processing that myself, um, having two children from Ethiopia. We actually had adopted kids before we had biological children. And so we were processing parenting at the same time as cultural differences. And obviously our skin colors look different. So we walk through a store and it's very clear to see that we could not walk incognito in a store and not be, not be making a scene in Costco or in Chick-fil-A or Wendy's. And so it's just something that we got used to. And so there are many adoptive parents that have reached out to me about the complexities. That's probably a whole nother specific episode we'd have to do on that. But thanks for speaking into that. And those realities break my heart, but we need to hear those stories. It does not do us any good to not hear the stories of you at the grocery store or what was done to your car or what was done to your friends. We need to hear those stories. Uh, So thank you for, for sharing that. We all have influence. Every leader watching this, you have influence. You have a social media feed, you have conversations. Um, This afternoon, after this interview, I'm getting together with a friend to just process with him. We all have some level of influence and can do something. Um, But could you get really practical for us, uh, Melinda Joy? What can a white leader of any kind of influence do specifically to work toward racial equity and racial reconciliation? Yes. So here's my practical things here I was thinking about. Number one, um, I'm going to use this term think and live like a missionary here in the United States. So for those of us who've done missions work overseas, we go overseas and we immediately go into a culture and realize that we don't position ourselves over the culture. And so we go in as learners. We go in if, if, if we're told, hey, don't do this side, don't do this. So what about here in the U.S.? Here's the practical piece of thinking about um that we think and live like a missionary here, that in our back door here, you know, in our backyards, right in our neighborhoods, we have people from other cultures, from other ethnic groups. I mean, no matter where they're from, um, here's the thing, that we get a chance, that's all of us, but to really embrace cultural humility. And so embracing cultural humility is saying that if, if anyone would just allow themselves to become a learner and to, and to not devalue the lived experiences of others. And because, again, some of my friends have said, well, MJ, have you thought about maybe they meant this and they didn't really mean any harm? I said, probably not. I said, but there's intent and then there's effect. And so I'm not talking about necessarily the intent all the time. I'm talking about the effect that it has, it, it, you know, 
you had on me when I walked out to my car and someone had urinated in publicly and, and, and defecated on my car downtown where I live. I said, but what I realized is think and live like a missionary. Find people around you who can be a cultural champion. I mean, if you don't have friends from different ethnic groups, and I think pretty much anyone would for the most part, you know, and, and what I'm saying is not just race, how a person looks on the outside, not just their ethnicity, ethnicity, you know, Native American, whatever, but people who have different walks of life, who think differently, even, even in ministry. I mean, people who do things a little bit differently, allow ourselves, you know, uh, or to learn from different people to don't feel that you have to walk on eggshells. So some of my friends have said, oh my gosh, MJ, I'm like totally afraid to say anything. I don't want to get blasted on social media and I don't want to come across as the angry white person or whatever. And I'm like, I totally get it. Believe it or not, I don't want to get blasted on social media. So <laughs> Who does, this, right? It hurts. <laughs> I'm like, really? I mean, so this is a very sensitive time. But so my advice to my friends is that, hey, if something's, you know, you kind of thinking, should I even say this? Why not run it past somebody and say, hey, you know, I, I want to be a part of change. But do you think if I put this out there, if I say this, do you think that's really going to help MJ? You know, I even tell people that I do training with, hey, when you think about your teams and you think about building curriculum and all, what about asking people from different backgrounds and cultures to speak into some of it? I mean, again, it's a practical way. And, and I heard something um, that, that silence always, not always, but silence can equal consent. And so I say this, that we see what's going on in our nation today, but in our workplaces, in our places, where spaces where we are, I would say for a, a white leader, even in our churches, when you when you know when you hear things, then you know that it's not what the Father would want people to say or do to others. When you see injustices in your workplace, and you hear the jokes, and you see how people are treating, being treated, being silent and going getting on your knees is fine. But what can you speak unto? What courageous voice can you have to go to someone and say, "Hey, man," or or listen, you know or sis or whatever, hey, I love you, but when you said this here thing, you know, let me just share this with you. You know, you said the N-word. I mean, or you didn't even say the N-word. You were just disrespectful. You didn't want to sit by this person. You didn't want this person at the table. You wanted them at the table, but you didn't give them a voice. So thinking about getting a cultural champion. And so a couple other things is um, to devalue, value rather, value diverse perspectives within each group of people. And, and remember that sometimes, okay, I'll just say black, white, since we've got a lot going on here with black, white relations. The reality is that not every black person can speak to the nation of what's going on with all black people, because within every culture, we have individuals. And, and you know, you look at people and someone said to me, hey, MJ, you know, why do black people? And I'm like, I don't know. I can speak about this. I can't speak for a whole nation of black people. We're all sure. different. I'm saying, hey, why does Jay-Z do this? I can't talk to you about Jay-Z. I, 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 I don't know him. I, I don't know the man. I've never met him. You know what I'm saying? I don't know him, but I just like, okay, don't think and don't ask your friends to try to represent an entire group of people because we're all different. 
we really are. And then lastly, I would say, let's see, I have don't walk on eggshells, uh, value basic human dignity and worth. I mean, it's everything. I'm like, so we've, we've talked about civil rights. We've tried it. What about the basic premise of human dignity? How about we try that? Because I was thinking, you know, Alan, you know, remember when we had the miracle on the Hudson and when that plane was going to nosedive in, the, in that river? And, and all I kept, you know, seeing over and over is when that plane slid down and the pilot brought it to safety, when those people came out of that airplane, they were hugging each other. They were covering each other. They weren't asking, look, do you speak English? Um, what's your heritage? Where were you born? You have, do you like white people? Do you like black people? No, they united over something, a tragedy. And so it's interesting. And I share this, that we don't want to be people that can unite at a football stadium and we can cheer a group of people on and then leave out the stadium and never talk to our brothers and sisters who are different. I don't want to be a person who can be in the glory cloud and praise God and talk about Jesus and can't reach out to my new immigrant who's in the city. So I think being intentional, being intentional about understanding, pursue understanding in the hard places. And also lean into the uncomfortable. I heard this quote, it's anonymous, but it says, there is no comfort if we are wanting to grow. And there will never be any growth if we are not wanting to leave our comfort zone. So yep. there is no comfort if we are willing to grow. It's going to be dis- discomforted. This is not an easy time. It's like you say one thing, you think it's the right thing, and then you go, okay, so that wasn't right. I was trying or, you know, but I'm growing. I'm going to try again. I'm going to leave. It feels uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good to be a white person right now. It doesn't feel good to be walking the streets and, and to see law enforcement. It doesn't feel good, you know, whatever. But there are law enforcement people who are noble. You know, every law enforcement person does not is not represented by what we see. So I just would say find that place, lean into it, but make sure you get your instructions from the inner court and not just the outer court. Can I say one quick thing too here, Alan? Absolutely. I was thinking about Martin Luther King. And so, you know, his quotes are everywhere, you know, and they're wonderful. But here's my thought, Alan. And and I wonder how many people know that Martin Luther King had what's called a commitment card. And before anybody, when he did that march, you know, and you think about all the things that were going on before anybody could march, even whites or blacks, they, any, any, any race, ethnicity, they had to sign what's called a commitment card. You can Google it. And, and, and there were 10, I think 10 or 12 things that everybody had to say yes to before they were allowed to march with Martin Luther King. And that's white and black. And we had white people arm in arm with him on the front line, signing that commitment card saying, we're not going to have internal unrest. We're going we're gonna to have each other's backs. I, I've got your back no matter what. I'm going to walk with you. You know, I realized that I might have death or harm, but this cause is so important to me that I'm going to do it. And so that commitment card is huge. Rosa Parks, when we talk about her, and yeah, she didn't give up her seat. And the people said, well, she was in the white section. No, she wasn't. She was in the section she was supposed to be in, the color during that time, or they assigned to her the color section, but she said, my feet are hurting. I am not getting up another time. You know, the pain of this here. And so I believe 
for us, the pain of what we see now on TV and on media, it should cause us to say, I'm not going to be silent anymore. I'm going to, you know, say, God, place me where I need to be. Place me with my brothers and sisters. Let me be a courageous voice. Show me how to do that. Wow. That's so good. Thank you for that practical hopeful, all mixed together. Uh, You said the word dignity that really stuck out to me. I think you do that so well, MJ, is you lean into dignity and are present with people. I I think also just the word that stuck out to me was uncomfortable. Better to ask a friend an uncomfortable question than to live on in ignorance. And if you don't know why Jay-Z does something or you do something, it's okay to just say, I'm not sure, or maybe that's just me. And I, I just think it's a call back to relationship, especially if we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in the human race, but even more within the church. Uh, I'm almost left with, we can't afford not to ask an uncomfortable question and continue to live on in ignorance. Better to have that. It's never gone wrong for me. I've just always been met with, thanks for asking, or a laugh, or... I don't know, or let me tell you, and it's really, it's never gone badly for me. Do you want to talk a little bit just about that, about maybe um, someone that may feel really insecure, come to you, a white friend asking a question. How does that feel when that happens? You know, I'm okay. You know, when I do training, I make this statement and I say, you know, ignorance is curable. If you don't understand Mm -hmm. something, it's curable. Arrogance, on the other hand, will take a lot longer. Wow. Ignorance is curable. It's okay. I give my friends permission, permission to come to me and to learn from me and my life. Because if I don't, then what am I doing? You know what I mean, Alan? I I feel that for me, especially my mission in life, when I talk about the dignity and value and worth, I have friends who come to me and some of them are like, I think this is wrong, MJ. I don't like Black Lives Matter. I think it's nothing, it's doing nothing but separating us. You know, why do we have black churches and all? And I'm, and I listen, I don't, you know, strike back and say, what? Nope. You know what I do? I pray and I say, God, help me with an answer. And um, I was telling a friend recently, she said, I'm just so upset, MJ, with this Black Lives Matter. And I feel like if I come to, she said, I know you long enough. I've known you long enough to know that if I come to you and tell you that, you're not going to dismiss me as a friend. I said, of course not. Why would I? I said, I'm just going to give you a perspective about it. And the perspective is, no, you haven't seen me maybe march with a sign, Black Lives Matter, but I'm thinking about the incarnational life of Jesus. And he said, it's it's in Luke, Alan, I think, where um, the 99, Jesus said, there's the 99 and the how the shepherd leaves the 99 to go get the one. And I just think what's happening now, it doesn't mean one, you know, we've color-coded, color-coded our society, you know? So I don't think there's one that's superior over other. But what we're seeing right now, in all honesty, is we're seeing too much, you know, of what's happening to that one. And that's where, you know, people are just marching. And it's interesting, because even here in our city, Alan, you know, when I think of the protests that we're having, the peaceful ones, that there's white, there's, I've actually seen more whites out here. There's white, young. We've been out there. I've been very encouraged by the leaders out there. Lots of followers of Jesus are showing up, by the way. Yeah, followers of Jesus and realizing that again. I told someone, I said, well, think of Jesus when he went in the temple. He was upset. He overturned the tables but he didn't stone the people behind the tables. Man, we're, we're going to have to talk more about this. And we get to. I'm so encouraged and excited about where you're heading. Uh, 
MJ. So a couple more thoughts. You have a great list of resources. We're going to make those available, by the way, over at stayforth.com on field notes. We're going to have a list of movies, books, even some documentaries. Is there one that sticks out? If a leader says, I got to start somewhere, I want to educate myself this summer. I want to commit myself to studying uh, either the history of racism or a kingdom perspective on racism. Any uh, kind of first recommendation that you'd give? Yeah, I think my first one would be, you know, you and I was talking Eyes on the Prize. That's mm-hmm. a, it, it, that documentary, I think, will, will so help, you know, our white brothers and sisters, you know, and even others, really, um, understand why we've kind of gotten to this place here, you know. And, 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 we, and I understand that, historically speaking, we didn't start right here. We just didn't. We, we didn't start right. We've had too much stuff here. We brought people over here, all that. So when we understand the historical context of what has happened and why people are doing what they do, why certain things happen, it helps us to pray more and understand how to be a catalyst for change. Because I I, I really believe, Alan, um, Eyes on the Prize, it, it's, it's an amazing documentary. And I think you've seen it, right? Oh, Have, it- it opened, it opened my eyes. Unfortunately, um, my town was highlighted in there, a town I grew up in, and I had no idea these things happened in my town. And I actually had been bragging on what a great place I grew, grew up in. And then suddenly watched this documentary and went, ouch, I had no idea that it happened miles from where I grew up. Wow. And one book that I would recommend, I mean, mine's not out yet, you can pre-order, but, I, but Dr. John Perkins he has a great book called One Blood, and I would highly recommend. I mean, I have, I have a lot of books on the resource list, and I have some movies. But just to start, you know, Eyes on the Prize, and, and, and I like the framework where Dr. Perkins is coming from. And he's saying that when we use the word racism and racist and all like that, he said, really, we don't want to talk about the kingdom imperative of the division that, that has happened, and that in reference. Revelation, when John said, I saw a multitude of all kindred tongues, nations, and people, then what is our role here to activate heaven on earth? In our neighborhoods, in our places of worship, what is our responsibility to help advance the kingdom of Jesus here on earth? And Dr. John Perkins is an absolute legend and experienced atrocities as a kid and a young man that ultimately led him to be probably the leading voice from a kingdom perspective over the last 30 or 40 years. Un- unbelievable. Uh, MJ, you got to let us into your book. Uh, it's officially order uh, available for pre-order right now, but can you um, just kind of crack open the message of that book uh, for, for us and for our listeners? Yeah, I can. Thank you. It's interesting because I started crafting the message of the book, which is, that we need to be more responsible to see each other through the eyes of Jesus, the value, worth, and dignity of every person. So throughout that entire book, it's called The Colors of Culture, The Beauty of Diverse Relationships. I wanted to give a brief historical perspective of how we got to where we are, but with that, I don't want to stop there. I wanted to share stories from around the world of people who relate to each other heart to heart. It doesn't matter. The homeless man, the wealthy man sitting together, the person who barely speaks English. I talk a lot about my travels overseas in Vietnam, Africa. So it's a book about the kingdom imperative of John 17 and where it says, I would that they would all be one. 
Wow. Melinda, it is always a joy. Anything else you'd like to leave white leaders with who, who are listening, who are waiting, who are praying, who are ready to change? What else would you say? My last thing I would say is don't be afraid to make a mistake. Be more afraid of not doing anything. Thank you for that and the continued work. I know this has been a hard and just an exhausting season with disappointment on top of disappointment, pain on top of pain. Thank you for sharing your own story. Guys, again, I highly encourage you to go back to episode 86 of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. You get way more of an expansive look at Melinda Joy Mingo's story. And MJ, we're for you. We're with you. Thank you so much for your honesty, but also your hope in the midst of this painful time. And can I say one thing to you? I want to say this here. You know, I'm just kind of a pretty raw person. I try to try to always cover it with love. I want to say to you how much I appreciate you allowing me to do this today. It, it meant a lot to me. I can't tell you that. It's not just being on this year pod, you know, this year video with you. It's the fact that since I've known you and, and, and others, that you, for me, have communicated and modeled a person who sees people through the eyes of Jesus. And I want to leave that. I know you didn't maybe want me to say that, but I felt that I wanted to say that because I just think, again, we make it so difficult and really it's heart to heart. Whatever's from the heart will touch the heart. So I just want to leave that again with leaders and you and say thank you for having me here again. Uh, yes. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored that you would say that. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. We hope this conversation with Alan and Melinda Joy was encouraging to you. We also hope that it was convicting and thought-provoking. And take some time today just to sit with it, just to think and reflect and pray and really think about what are the next steps that you can take towards educating yourself as a white leader, if you're listening to this right now. Head over to stayforth.com forward slash field notes. We've put together a great resource called White Leaders, Let's Educate Ourselves About Racism. These are practical articles, videos, tools that we've had people suggest to us. And so we've decided to compile them into one place to give you a strategic location to go and grab solid content to help educate yourself. If there's something you want to see added to the list, just drop a comment when you read the article and we'll be happy to add that. We want to keep these growing. We've got more conversations coming this week in our Dear White Leaders series that we're excited to release. We know that it's possible to lead healthy for the long haul. We know that it's possible to lead right side up in this upside down world for the long haul, but we also need to come together and lead together for the long haul. If we really want to lead right side up, we need to do it together. And so thanks for tuning in today and we'll see you on the next episode. Shine, shine, we ain't